Well, there's no getting around it. This parable is hard. Not only does it have to do with money, a subject that makes both people in the pews and pastors alike squirm, but this story gives headaches to even the most scholarly of theologians. Unlike the parables that precede it, the story of the stories of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost or prodigal son, this parable is one that defies attempts to make sense of it. So don't expect any definitive interpretations from me today. All I can do is give it my best shot and trust that the Holy Spirit will join in the conversation. So let's start with the parable itself. A manager, maybe an accountant, something like that, a manager, is accused of squandering a rich man's money. We aren't told who made the accusations or exactly what the man is accused of doing, but clearly the rich man, probably an absentee landlord, takes these charges seriously. He asks the manager for a complete accounting and tells him that he is going to be fired. Now, right away, this manager comes across as an unsympathetic character, and his subsequent actions do nothing to change that opinion. Having rejected the idea of doing manual labor, which sounds like he's pretty lazy, or trying to beg, this man comes up with a self-serving scheme that is anything but honest. Though he has no authority to do so, the manager contacts each of the tenants who, owes debt, who owe debt to his masters and has them take a big chunk off the top. He does this in hope of creating a network of obligation for those whose debts are lowered will not only look favorably upon the landlord, their supposed benefactor, but also on the manager who now comes across as the bearer of good tidings. Because hospitality was paramount in that culture, the manager hopes that the tenants will be honor-bound to welcome, to return the favor by welcoming him into their homes. Now think about it. This manager's actions put the landlord in a pretty difficult situation. On the one hand, if he honors the new contracts, he stands to lose a great deal of money. And on the other hand, if he decides to demand the full amount of each debt, he will appear to go back on his word, thereby damaging his reputation in the community. Clearly, this manager is a scoundrel, which is why the ending of this story is so unexpected. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. What? Though his actions were underhanded, underhanded, the manager's shrewdness earns him his master's admiration and possibly gets him his old job back. Not only did this man not get what he deserved, but his strategies seemed to have worked out better than expected. I don't know about you, but that just doesn't sound right to me. Not at all. Nor does Jesus' next statement. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of light. And as if that wasn't strange enough, Jesus then goes on to say, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by the use of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Okay, now I'm really confused. Is this dishonest, wily manager being presented as a role model for us? 
And what does Jesus mean by the comments that he makes after the story? What gives here? Okay, here we go. While I doubt that we are meant to emulate him, Jesus' words indicate that the manager has something to teach us. We sometimes equate being shrewd with being callous or underhanded, but the Greek word that's used here also means prudent or wise. Someone who is shrewd is also wise, streetwise usually, savvy to the ways of the world, creative, a good judge of people and situations. As dishonest as he was, the manager knew how to make use of what was at hand. He knew, as one biblical commentator writes, how to use what was entrusted to him to serve a larger goal, which in this case was taking care of his well-being, of course. Just look at how he proceeded. Upon receiving the bad news from his master, the manager takes the time to make an honest assessment of his situation, acknowledging both his, his weaknesses and his resources. And then, having determined what he had the power to accomplish, he acts creatively and decisively to ensure his future. I think we could do worse than to follow that example. And indeed, I would suggest that Jesus is urging his followers to be just as savvy, creative, and determined in using our resources, our time, our talents, and yes, our money, to live faithful lives and to serve God as this honest manager was in using his resources to take care of himself. You know, outside of the church, my sound has just changed. Is it changing here? Okay, it's my ears then. Outside of the church, we use everything that we have to ensure that our lives and the lives of our loved ones will be the best they can be, right? But for some reason, when we walk in these doors, we both undervalue our resources and hold them close to our chests. We wave away suggestions that we might have skills or talents to share. We hesitate to offer our time, and openly talking about the use of our money makes us uncomfortable. And yet, I tell you, each and every one of us here, and all those who aren't here, has something of worth to contribute. I wonder how our church might change if we, each of us honestly assessed our resources, then offered what we had willingly and gladly to God's service. What talents, knowledge, and creativity do you have to share? How might you help the church function, for example, in today's technological world? Are you handy? Do you enjoy repairing things? Are you blessed with financial knowledge and acumen? Are you particularly talented in organization or leadership? Do you have a gift for making others feel welcome and included? Do you often find yourself mentoring others? Do you feel moved to help? All of those questions are getting at the main question I want to ask you. What might you bring to the table, or should I say, the altar? Taking a cue from the manager and assessing how our resources might serve the larger goal of ministry and mission would be very helpful. 
And I encourage you to ponder and pray about these things. Perhaps we could use a little more shrewdness around here. I'm tempted to say we could also use a little more money. <laughs> but notice that the manager did not use his cunning to gain wealth. His goal was to build relationships with those who might offer him hospitality when the need arose. He understood that it was the relationships that he made rather than his job or the money he might earn that would sustain him through hard times. And maybe that's something else that we can learn from this dishonest manager, that relationships matter. To be sure, this manager wasn't looking to make friends with the rich man's tenants. In truth, he was using them to meet his own ends. And Jesus, but Jesus seems to applaud that for he tells us to make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth. And again, I find myself asking, what does Jesus mean? I wonder if the key might lie in the words dishonest wealth. While money, wealth, is neutral in and of itself, we cannot survive in the world without it. And that gives it a certain power over us. There's a reason that the word for wealth is often translated as mammon with a capital M. Barbara Rosing writes that the use of that name serves as a personification for the acquisition of wealth, the most common god on earth, according to Martin Luther. Wealth is useful, but it is always dangerous because it so easily stops being a tool, a means to an end, and becomes a master, an end in itself. The desire for it can lead us to misuse it, even in our relationships. Which perhaps is why Jesus goes on to talk about the need to be trustworthy. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? In other words, how we use money matters not only in the acquisition of things, but also in our relationships with one another. It's said that St. Augustine asserted that God gave us people to love and things to use, and original sin manifests itself in our penchant to confuse those two, loving things and using people. Cultivating our relationships with others surely deserves as much time and effort and creativity and determination as the management of our portfolios and the building of our bank accounts. Of course, the relationship that matters the most is our relationship with God. And here, finally, finally, Jesus' meaning is very clear. No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and mammon. Wealth is a blessing to be sure, but as the manager learned, it is not dependable. You and I both know that as much as we need and want it, money cannot ensure our survival, nor can it provide us with security. Though we exhaust ourselves in obtaining it, it cannot make us happy or faithful. 
In fact, it's more likely to make us anxious and less faithful. It is a fickle master indeed. True security lies not in money, but in our relationship with God, a relationship that is based on divine love. Investing in that relationship is our ultimate hope, even for those of us who have little or no monetary resources, for God's love never runs out. It never fails. God's mercy and grace are always available to us, regardless of our circumstances. Thanks be to God. What does Jesus mean by this parable? Well, it may be impossible to say for sure. I think there are some things that we can take away from it. Sometimes it's helpful to step back and take an honest look at our situation. We don't need to check our wits and wisdom at the door when we walk into church. The choices that we make, even in small things, count. Money matters, but relationships matter more. And of course, you can't serve God and wealth. You have to make a choice. If nothing else, I hope that this parable inspires us to do that, to take a look at how our relationship with God affects our daily lives, including our use of wealth. For ultimately, that relationship, a relationship with God is the one that matters, the one in which we truly can find the security, the one that gives us life. Thanks be to God indeed. Amen.